Namaste. So today as part of Thoughts and Aphorisms, we have a very fascinating subject. I think two subjects uh, universally fascinate everyone. And one is death and the other is love. So we see in Savitri um, the whole battle between love and death. And uh, the, the reason is that death divides. It divides the body from the soul, divides this world and that world. Whereas love unites and joins. So we see them as mutual opponents. And uh, ultimately, just as death draws a gulf between matter and the spirit, uh, love is the power that joins the matter and spirit. This is its ultimate purpose. So here is an aphorism on which we will take up. The, it is from Jnana, section Jnana. It's aphorism number 11. Immortality is not the survival of the mental personality after death. Though that also is true, but the waking position of the unborn and deathless self, of which body is only an instrument and a shadow. So we see here there are three very clear terms that should be in the user. One is the mental personality. The second is the unborn self. And the third is the body. So most of us when we think about immortality, we think body. So as if there is nothing else other than the body. And therefore, when um, the body shows signs of death and starts disintegrating and de decomposing, we say that the person is dead. But actually, from the highest standpoint, there is no death. That's how the mother puts it. And it's the experience of anyone who has discovered the immortal self within oneself. So this is uh, one of the secrets, as the Katopanishad puts it, which even the gods do not know. Because that's how when Nachiketa asked that some say that um, not all is over with death and some say that uh, there is nothing after death. So which of them is true? And Yam tells him that don't ask this question because even the gods do not know. So of course why the gods do not know? Because gods are immortal but they do not know what happens after death with regard to the survival of the individual because in us there is something which gods do not have. That is the great paradox and that is the psychic being, the essence of the supreme, a portion of the divine mother, Paraprakriti Jiva Bhuta, which, which survives and not only survives, it grows stronger in the journey from life to life. So, um, when immortality is spoken about, because we see these different belief systems, we can briefly touch upon it. So there are certain belief systems which say that there is a soul. They don't use the word soul. Naturally, they use their own words. But uh, there is no rebirth. So the question about that is then what is the soul doing with one career? Does it enter into the body only to get reward and punishment? <laughs> Sometimes the reward is an eternal dwelling in heaven and an eternal damnation in hell, which is obviously absurd. So, survival of something which we may call as the individual soul and rebirth, they go hand in hand. And the whole purpose of the soul entering into creation is that it must grow as a seed grows to the fullness of the tree. That is the idea of a seed. So, what does a seed do? It grows. It will eventually grow into 
whatever the seed is of so it cannot grow in one life because to grow it needs many experiences and therefore in one life there is a limitation it experiences those things then comes back in another life a little more grown and little more grown a little more grown so first thing is that there is a constant progression there is no retrogression that uh, the way we look at life as reward and punishment that is not how the divine looks at life if he looked at it like that there will be no hope but as a constant growth now in this process of constant growth this soul begins to put out its divine possibilities which is what becomes the psychic personality or the spiritual individual which puts up becomes more and more the psychic being is the real center for our individuality but as always happens <clears throat> we have those stories where the baby prince is in the palana cradle and the king is not there so in his absence the manager or the mantri he is governing the throne and he tries all kinds of ways and means that this prince may either never grow into the king he is killed or banished something or the other he tries so also with us this true individuality which is the soul is covered by what we believe is our individuality which is the ego ego individuality is a construct in fact it's hardly an individuality it's usually shaped by all the forces we hear certain things there is something which the society expects of us some things which a religion expects of us something which we have thought about and we call this entire thing as me now this me does it really survive now shubhendra has used a very paradoxical term he says though that also is true with regard to the mental personality so usually however this ego individuality or the surface personality which we put on our visiting cards which we are so proud about it dissolves it cannot continue <laughs> it is one life experience and there is no guarantee that a king in this life will not become a uh, not only a subject but maybe a serf in another life it's just a question of the need of a certain kind of experience so one thing we must know this which we call as our ego personality which is normally driven by the vital and the mind that does not survive but shubhendra says though that is also possible so when does it become possible when even within this ego structure there is a true individuality even though the soul has not emerged in the forefront but there is a true mental personality the mind picks up a highest thought and builds the entire life around it and in that life the psychic can put a spark of immortal life so there are beings like that Swami Vivekananda, for example, who you know continues to influence the minds of people even after withdrawal. We have examples of uh, in in the ashram context. A. B. Purani, when he left the body, the mother says his higher intellect has united with Sri Aurobindo. So always, as a mental personality, he continues to uh, remain one with the Lord, with the Divine. So there is no way it can be dissolved. and that can continue to influence an act amrita he said i want to keep my um, that part in him which was full of bhakti intact after his departure so that i can help others who are seekers but these are rare exceptional cases for most of us it dissolves because most of us 
in the name of individuality are merely a chaos it's a khichdi and if a khichdi is well cooked it's still okay it's a badly cooked khichdi where there are all kinds of things from everywhere and they've been put together so khichdi making is an art uh, you can't just put everything together and put on fire and say this is khichdi so so the mother starts uh, commentary with this background she she says uh, there are three statements here which have raised questions first what is the mental personality because shubindu says immortality is not the survival of the mental personality after death though that also is true so she says in each human being the body is animated by the vital being and governed or partially governed by a mental being so vital being gives it the force of life without the vital being it's as good as dead even when the vital being sinks supposing there is depression somebody is feeling sad so what happens the vital being is in revolt it says i'll not cooperate so what do people experience no energy although they have all the energy nothing has happened but that particular day that particular moment that particular week they feel there is no energy and even many of these illnesses like the viruses the forces behind them they actually draw away the vital energy there are people who will do that there are people who take away the vital energy and one feels as good as or as bad as half dead so it's the vital energy that gives the force of life to the body but then force of life is not enough somebody has to govern it so we have the image in the geeta that there are these steeds five horses and then there is the rain so the rain is the mind and the one who holds the reins is the buddhi higher intellect so the five horses are the energy of life the panch pran which is of course driven normally it drives the senses into action so they are the five fold prana but this must be held by the mind if the mind doesn't hold it govern it then they will take the rider anywhere imagine if one driver is driving the car and he cannot control the steering the car is controlling him so it is dangerous situation if forces are running on their own way so there are three things that she is revealing to us there is the body there is the vital being which gives the life force and there is the mental being which governs or is expected to govern normally what happens the driver has gone off to sleep so the mental being is hardly it doesn't know how to really drive and it says doesn't matter autopilot whatever is happening is happening this is a general rule but the extent to which the mental being is formed and individualized varies greatly from one individual to the next so the first step for self mastery is that the mental being must be individualized meaning thereby that's where the significance of choices so in katopanishad yama tells uh, nachiketa uh, nachiketa insists no no you tell me so, uh, i i want to know about the secret of immortality so then he is very happy and he says that you have chosen the shreyas over prayas so prayas is simply it's no choice but being driven by the vital shreyas means what is good what is really noble what is worthy of me so that's where the mind comes in so there are very few people in whom the mind can govern the outer personality and in ancient india these people were called as arya it had nothing to do with geography 
even mandodri at one point of time tells ravana hey arya tara vali's wife communicates to him once arya why are you uh, doing something which is anarya so arya and dravidian they were not two opposites <laughs> dravid could apply to the entire indian peninsula because dravid is a land surrounded one three sides it's a literal sanskrit term for peninsula so it was arya and anarya so if you do anarya acharan means you are driven by senses and the vital that's what it meant psychologically that this is an anarya way of life which was swachhand way of life but our way of life was where there was an effort towards mastery because the mind was developed the intellect was developed and of course if there could be a spiritual development so our were those who were striving towards self mastery so the mother brings out that distinction in her own way she says this is the general rule but in some people the mental being is formed and individualized what she means by formed is that there is a clarity the mind understands where it wants to go how it wants to make its choices there are a lot of people who don't even know i have seen people write in old age they don't know what is their aim many of them take it that you know bringing up my children is my aim and when children fly off then it's grandchildren so <laughs> those who are lucky don't have grandchildren <laughs> i must say because then they are freed if you have a grandchild and if you are attached then your whole life is first children then grandchildren and that's the end of the story so the goal is not clear but formed mental being means it's clear about what it wants from life it makes conscious choices and it's not driven by the vital so she says this varies from individual to the next in the great mass of human beings the mind is something fluid which has no organization of its own and therefore it is not a personality so such a mind is driven by whatsapp gyan <laughs> so, <laughs> so very often all kinds of things go on you know by whatsapp gyan i mean the whole kind of ideas are uh, see people go to that extent i have sometimes heard ridiculous things uh, lakshman ne rekha bana diya tha lakshman had made a rekha it's he wanted to tell that women should not step out so you have to tell them there is no incidence of lakshman rekha in valmiki ramayana there is no nothing like lakshman rekha in valmiki ramayana so, so where did this lakshman rekha come from some one of the ramayana does mention it if i am not mistaken probably ramcharitmanas mentions but in the original ramayana there is no lakshman rekha so many they don't even do a fact check forget about analyzing a data then you understand what is that lakshman rekha what is that rekha of maryada which is inside us it's not something which is uh, tangible and visible so to that extent that we don't even try to confirm whether a thing is true or not in the field of health in every field uh, so this is how the mind is fluid fluid mind means anything from anywhere and it begins to believe it it's very gullible it doesn't uh, process things by its own intelligence and try to understand for instance there are a lot of people who believe that god rewards and punishes uh, nobody raises a question that really i mean if he rewards and punishes where will a human being go <laughs> so but we carry these belief systems because the mind likes to ready made product put it over it's like a cap so we put a uh, cap or a skull cap over ourselves and we believe that we know 
And what is that? That's simply a system which we have put it on ourselves. So we have not really organized our life. So she says, with no cohesive life of its own and without personality. Of course, there is an external personality. <laughs> Well-dressed and all that. <laughs> Impeccable manners. But the true personality, even a mental personality is not formed. Whatever people say, one believes and one acts according to that. It cannot survive. So such a personality cannot survive because it's in fact not good even for the individual. So that's why in, in life one of the most important things, the significance of one's own choices, that's how personality is formed. It may be, you may want it, but let me decide what is it that I want from that perspective, higher perspective. By want I don't mean my desires because that's hardly any... Uh, truth about that but what is it that is good for me it may be good for you but is it really good for me so one really looks at it that way so she says what made up the mental being dissolves in the mental region when the body the substance which made up the body dissolves in the physical substance so what happens after death the body dissolves all of them are formations from there is a universal physical matter so out of which the body is formed it goes back Ghada chala jata hai with the Kumar. So it, I mean in the Mitti. So the pot breaks and it goes into the mud. Similarly, the water which is in the pot, it flows and flows and goes into wherever, uh, back into the mud or if this some water somewhere, it will go into that. So same with all the other elements. So the body dissolves here, the vital being dissolves in the vital world. The mental being, because it's hardly organized, it dissolves into the general mass in the mental world. So that's the what happens after death. Physical body dissolves slowly through whatever process of time. The vital being, the prana, it dissolves in the vital world for which there is shrad ceremony to make it dissolve fast because the vital world is full of all kinds of things. And especially if one has led a life which is governed by many things of the lower vital nature, then all those beings come and say, come brother, we are waiting for you. <laughs> it's, it's a nightmare. But if one has lived at least a vital life, even the vital has lived for something nobler and higher, then there is the so-called heaven of the vital world where for some time you are greeted and said, okay, stay for a while. But then it dissolves because it's energy melting into energy. Then the mental being, depending on the kind of thoughts, conscious synthesis as the mother puts it, that goes into the mental world. But if one has never really made a conscious synthesis in the world of the realm of the mind, the mind also dissolves. So ultimately what goes with us is the soul with the few impressions in a lifetime that it gathered, soul moments as they can be called. The soul moments in the life of an average individual are very, very few. So, soul moment has very little to do with the traditional religion. It's not necessary that we may go to a temple and have a soul moment. We may be thinking of uh, the person who has come there or thinking about my desires, thinking about my own ego satisfaction. So, these are not soul moments. Whereas suddenly in the moment, uh, gazing at a landscape, one is filled with the sense of a deep peace and vastness. That is soul moment. So there are many such soul moments which come in our life. Only they are carried because the soul is immortal and all that it has touched, all that it has 
taken within itself that survives and then she says the earth's atmosphere is the earth's mental atmosphere is filled with beings mental personalities which lead on entirely independent existence even after the disappearance of the body they can reincarnate in a new body when the soul that is to say the true self reincarnates thus carrying with it the memory of its previous lives but at the same time there are people who have formed a mental personality in fact they look for a body because they need to express sometime they can express um, uh, in somebody else there is a soul and they see there is a capacity and suddenly we see the development of a musical ability of a very unusual kind and it's because there is a mental personality which suddenly is influencing and the person begins to suddenly develop painting or musical ability or any such thing uh, there are many other reasons this is one of the reasons or they continue to project like beings of the vital worlds and mental world they continue to project into human beings pressing them suggesting things to them so these things come from all kinds of worlds uh, if we accept them so that there again the element of choice come because recently there was something very interesting that uh, people often tell me uh, when they are going through depression so the person was saying i looked at the fan and suddenly i i had this image and i don't want to give name to that image but see how does it come it comes because there are forces which are projecting onto the person next step if you accept the image do it push to do it so that's why we should be very careful that every suggestion that comes from this direction or that's direction it doesn't mean it is true so all this is going on all the time but there are mental personalities which are waiting when the soul reincarnates in a new body they come that's a very rare phenomena but it can happen so then one remembers the previous carries the memory of the previous lives but this is not what shirobindo calls immortality so this can happen but this not what is called as immortality immortality is a life without beginning or end because obviously immortality by its nature what is mortal that's why it is said whatever is born dies what it means is whatever has a beginning has an end this is the logic but in this beginning and end there is something which has no beginning and no end now this is something which our human mind find difficult to conceive but very simply if we take a little backward trail this entire play is taking place in space and time so if we take it what is the beginning of space and time then logically at least we can conceive of an existence out of which space and time have emerged because space and time cannot be just eternally suddenly there so even scientists nowadays speak about space time bubbles so there is some state we don't know what name to put it i mean spiritually one knows but logically which is beyond space and time so there is something which is beyond space and time which enters into space and time now the moment we realize that then there is the immortal existence because we we know immediately that we have always existed and we'll always exist so as the mother says the moment one 
realizes the psychic being, there that very moment one also discovers immortality. So the first immortality is to discover that element which is even before space-time came into existence, it was there. So in traditional literature it is called as the Jivatma, Jivatma, Paramatma, Atma. These are the three which are before space and time, they are there. Paramatma is there, the transcendent. Atma is there as the cosmic self. And then the Jivatma is there. It is also there before space and time. But when the play begins, then the Jivatma enters into the play. And that's what becomes the psychic being. But it is always connected with that. So she is speaking of this uh, immortality. First immortality, before we can talk about immortality of the body is... To discover this deathless self. It is called deathless because it has no beginning and no end. It cannot die. By its very nature it cannot die. It doesn't belong to this domain. There is no power or hold of death over it. Death is given a charge. What is the charge? Whatever is within limits you can destroy it. And it's in fact inevitable. What is within limits... Always strive for the limitless because it is always surrounded by the limitless. That's why no human being can ever be satisfied with the limited. So it strives for the limitless but it cannot. It does not know how. The way is yoga but one doesn't know usually. So death comes, says I know you want limitless. In one lifetime with a limited body, limited mind, you cannot have it. So then it comes back. So this is how experience grows so whatever is within limits, death has a hold over it. That's why it's called as transient, temporary. Whatever is beyond limits, the limitless, that cannot be destroyed by death. Death has no right over it. So she speaks about this, that, but this is not what she would have been called immortality. Immortality is a life without beginning or end, without birth or death, which is altogether independent of the body. So, what happens? We often use the word soul is... Who is born? Born simply means that it has accepted a limited formation of body and mind. That is what is meant by soul being born. Because it has no beginning. So, what it means is, there is a very beautiful way it is described in Kathopanishad. Agni riyathaiko bhuvnam pravishto rupam rupam pratirupo babhuva. Again, why your yathaiko bhavnam pravishto? So you have a patra made of mud. So in that mud, you or let's take the example of a lamp. So there is a beautiful lamp. But now you have put a bulb there and the lamp is lit. So depending on the material of the lamp shade, it will light up better or you know it may not throw sufficient light. So when the lamp, outer lamp cracks, does the light also end? No, the light doesn't end. So what happens when the bulb also cracks? No, the light still is there. But it has gone, it is there in the wire and the generator. You put another source, it will come up again. So same thing applies to the human system. When a baby is born, it doesn't mean the soul is immediately also born with the body. The body is only a formation. Soul is watching over it. Should I? Should I not? It's like, you know, before you buy a plot, you go and see. So the soul is watching. There are several plots. 
this plot, this plot. And how does it decide the plot? Parents. Parents are nice or good. This is the kind of experience I want. I want the experience of richness. Okay, they are rich parents. I want the experience of good, noble sanskar. So here I may get it, etc., etc. So it watches over. Then it says, okay, this plot is fine when the baby is beginning to form in the womb. And when the baby is delivered, the soul still will not enter. In some people, it may never enter. It is just knows, okay, this is my plot. It's like you buy a plot but never build a house and live there. Sometimes, simply because that plot is, you bought the plot, but all kinds of hooligans came there. And either you fight or you say, it's okay. I'll buy some other plot. It happens, no? So the same thing happens in certain lives that the body is there, life force is there, mind is there. But the kind of beings that begin to move, the soul says, okay, I won't enter into it. I'll watch over it for some time, then it withdraws. Or else, if it enters, there will be a fight because there has to be struggle then. So, birth of a body is not synonymous with the soul birth. In fact, soul is never born. It only assumes, enters a human body, forms a contact with it. What it means is, it is tied now to a body and ties itself to the mind. The moment it ties, it forgets its past life. It forgets its immortality. It's like, you know, how people, when they move from one place to another, either through a process of transfer or something, and then they are completely with that environment. That house becomes their own. Then after some time when they shift to another house, then some faint memory remains, oh, that house. But now a new house, new arrangement, new neighbors. They become your own people. So the same thing happens here when the soul takes up another body, another formation. Then it gets tied. When it's tied, then everything that is along with it, it gets tied to that. And this tying is important, there is a purpose, but that's not what is being spoken of here. It, it ties itself to the body. But when the body dies, it does not die, it simply gets untied. So those who are yogis learn to untie it when the body is alive. That's why it is called as to die while you are living. But otherwise, when the time of death comes, death says, okay, yep, further, aage jana hai. No, 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 this is mine, this house, these people. It's no, sir, please, come on. So if you resist, then there are even, Upanishad describes, 101 knots through which it is tied, because it has to be firmly tied. Every nut, bolt, screw. That's why when mother was asked, who are the people who will not have much pain during death, during departure? She says, those who have practiced inner detachment. Because then, while you are, when the moment comes, you will simply say, hey, Pepure, because <laughs> where are you going? You are going from your office to home. That's all. But otherwise, because one is, the more attached one is, the more the suffering. But the soul is not dying, nor the soul was born. It were bodies that were born, minds that were formed. And the soul 
tied itself and it can untie. So that's why she is speaking of soul, or the immortal self, which is beyond birth and death. Which and when we learn how to separate these parts, the mind, for example, separate from the body, then even after the death of the body, the mind can continue consciously in other worlds. Similarly, when one becomes conscious of the soul, then there is an independent life after the body dissolves. Still, it continues. Soul anyways has an independent life. The mother speaks of uh, some people whose soul came to her and strange, strange instances. One was, she speaks about a doctor who, the moment he died, he immediately came and he was so happy. Even one child after whose death, that little Soul came and it was so happy to be thrilled, but the parents were crying. And he says, how can I tell them? In fact, that soul came and is pointing to the mother, uh, give this flower to, to my parents, not my parent, but to them. Now, when you look at it from that point of view, when you have that vision, then your responses will be so different. But normally, we are completely identified with the body and the vital, they atma both. We think the body is the self and therefore we suffer. Then she further qualifies that what is this life without beginning or end? It is the life of the self with a capital S. The essential being of each individual. The true individual, essential being. Essential, why? Without it, we won't live long. Even if it just withdraws, then most of the time, for few months, one may continue, usually in a very deranged state. But if, as long as it is watching over, it is enough, it is watching over, so it continues. But the moment it withdraws, life begins to withdraw, mind begins to withdraw, because they realize that there is no more the sanction and the body disintegrates. So this is the essential being, this is our true self, the one essential thing. And it is not separate from the universal self. The other great truth she is revealing is, this individual self and the universal self are one. They are one in the sense like the drop and the water in the sea, or the wave and the ocean. So wave is separate, but wave is also one with the ocean. Classical spiritual literature in Vedanta We'll describe it like that. While the wave is playing, rising, imagine in time-lapse photography, if you make it 50 years, rise and fall, <laughs> then it is independent and individual. But in the base, it is always connected with the ocean. The day one realizes it, one realizes that it is one formation of this universal self. The day one realizes this universal self, one also realizes that all other waves are also part of the same universal self, but they are having different modes of experience. The bay in the Bay of Bengal, the wave in the Bay of Bengal, the wave in the Arabian Sea, now that, uh, you know, what is that, Bipar Joy is coming. Ultimately, they are all drawing their strength from the one universal self. So the same way the individual self is one with the universal self. This doesn't mean there is no difference. Fundamentally there is no difference. But there is a difference in manifestation. The ocean becomes many waves. Each wave has its own beauty, its might, its majesty, its moment through which it goes. 
and then it comes back to the universal self rest for some time goes back into the play so this this is the universal self and the in individual self and when we realize it then we uh, we'll have no fights with each other because we'll realize that is also away from the <laughs> whatever fights will be there will only be with the surface being not with the essential self because it's the same in everyone and this essential being has a sense of oneness with the universal self it is in fact a personified individualized expression of the universal life and as neither beginning nor end neither life nor death so does a wave die no it goes into the ocean does it mean it is death no that's its origin it can die only if the universe dies if the if the ocean dies if the ocean by some magic were to be dried up then you can say okay the waves are dead otherwise they are going and emerging for a new experience wave going down here in front of bay of bengal may travel god knows where all emerge in sri lanka going down there may emerge <laughs> i mean far on the coast of africa so this is how this play goes on here she is only describing the the whole fact of the individual and the universal self not its purpose etc because that's a different subject altogether because people derive all kinds of uh, interpretation from this this is then it doesn't really matter but it matters but that comes later not in this aphorism but it's enough to understand that basically our lives are like waves coming from the ocean it is impelled by the ocean and if we connect with the ocean there is no limit to this life because then we consciously connect with the ocean strength it exists eternally and that is what is immortal when we are fully conscious of this self with a capital s we participate in its eternal life and we therefore become immortal so when we are that essential thing within the wave which is joined by the sea when we are conscious of it then what happens when this formation lapses it is still conscious that connecting point so it knows i have come down into the universal self it emerges again it knows i am entering into this play again so this is what she is reminding us that when we become one practically it means that there is in us something which is which survives death and that something is always identified with the universal self unlike the ego which is not identified with the universal self ego is a limited personality put on for a moment by nature and nature how does it do it through false identification that the bondage ignorance i am this person with this body i am this person with this degree i am this person with this capacity i am this person with this language custom tradition so that identification ties it now there is a purpose in all this which we are not talking now because otherwise this analogy is there in um, you know dvaita dvaita or other visishta dvaita but then it is used to say that individuality is an illusion no the wave is real and the ocean is real the ocean is not just meaninglessly throwing up waves even when we use the word delight for the sake of delight but all that is 
somewhere else. Right now she is only describing what survives. So, when one is fully conscious of this self with the conscious capital S, we participate in its eternal life. It is the life of the ocean in which we participate. It is no more like just my little life. We are universe, has, uh, the ocean has its own life. With all the creatures, beings, its power, we participate in, we can use the word becoming in the manifestation. And we therefore become immortal. Then she takes up this other aspect. But there is some misunderstanding about the word immortality. And this is not something new. It is a misunderstanding which has recurred very frequently. When one speaks of immortality, most often people understand it as the indefinite survival of the body. So I have heard even... Uh, Sometimes somebody is saying, but mother is not there. So once I said little humorously, probably it offended the person. So I said, maybe for you. So I said, what can I say? I can't say that I have discovered her inside. That will look very presumptuous. I said, maybe for you. And that's why people who depend on a master, if they rely only physically... Shobindu repeatedly says, the first thing to do is to discover the master within you. If you don't do it, you will suffer because you are only depending on something which is... And mother kept reminding, I am not just this, this I have taken for a particular work. Life of the ocean. The ocean takes a mighty giant tsunami wave for a purpose. But she knows fully that she is not just this. So if you see only that tidal wave, then after some time you say, oh, where is that? So it's so important to understand. There is an issue in June, uh, which has come out All India magazine. Nearness to the mother. All these things the mother has spoken of. So, But we think immortality of the body. Those who depend only on the body for their so-called immortality, are not even ready to be a high humanity. Forget about becoming a master. Even a high humanity understand that body is nothing, the soul is all. Abhimanyu, conscious, that's how you can face death. So now she answers this, the body can survive indefinitely only if. So there she takes up this issue of bodily transformation. In the first place, it becomes fully conscious of this immortal self and unites with it. First thing is that even physically, we must be conscious. Even in the physical consciousness, we must be conscious of this immortal self, not lose this awareness. Otherwise, we have this awareness only in some exceptional states. First thing. Identifies with it to the extent of having the same capacity, the same faculty of constant transformation, which would enable it to follow the universal movement. So if the wave can continue to move, the way the ocean is moving and roaring, then the wave will survive. So this is the whole, the body. So that is the challenge, that is the difficulty, because it cannot be an individual body. It has to be a certain number of bodies. The body's rhythms have to change. So what she is describing is, and this is so true, if you look at our own life, 
सो पीपल ऑफ एन यूज दिस वर्ड बूढ़े हो गए एज हो गया बट एवरी पर्सन पास सिक्सटी नोज दैट आई एम नॉट ओल्ड द बॉडी इज ग्रोइंग ओल्ड बट द माइंड द वाइटल इट इज द सेम इट हैज द सेम एवरीथिंग इज द सेम but the body the flesh it begins to and if you are identified with your troubles the knees crackling and the you know joints creaking then you say oh my god life is difficult well <laughs> but if you step back life is the same of course you grow a little wiser and little foolish that's a different story <laughs> age can bring both of them we grow a little wiser because we have gone through the uh, blunders and we know that okay uh, this is not the path at the same time we grow foolish because we believe whatever path i have followed everybody should walk the same way so we become foolish because uh, that's how rigidity sets in and when rigidity sets in the mind then even the body rigidity sets in so it's unable to follow the universal progression if the body could follow the universal progression if the mind could follow then it would live so much more longer it doesn't mean one will be obliged to stay in the body one can leave it but not helplessly as a victim of death but this is very very deep. physical immortality is the crown of the project shrivinder spoke about it as few thousand years because many things have to happen before that and she speaking of that first discover the immortal self let the physical consciousness also know it unite with it so the same capacities of the immortal self the body should develop its luminosity the individual self the soul within us is always full of joy full of peace even in the physical consciousness one should experience it even the physical consciousness should aspire just as the soul aspires and the sign of that is that uh, physical body is aspiring for the divine when physical conditions whether it's hot or cold all these do not affect you that aspiration is so beautifully captured in mirabai's bhajan even her body physical self rom rom it is aspiring but we are not ready to hold that love flame of love inside this human body it it cannot even a little bit of it it begins to burn throw up abnormal phenomena gets excited gets depressed all this so she is saying but if it can have those things then it can follow the universal movement this is an absolutely indispensable condition if the body is to endure in fact the first practice is to teach the body to endure otherwise it is driven by the vital so teach it to endure because the body is rigid because it does not follow the movement because it cannot transform itself rapidly enough to constantly identify itself with the universal evolution it decomposes and dies so change is the law of life the body cannot cope with it even the mind cannot cope mind gets rigid so that is the reason why slowly because you become what is called as dated <laughs> world march has moved forward and you can't so that's why the tendency in old age is to live in the past in our time hamare zamane mein and it's always good your past is always good somehow for some strange reason <laughs> and the future is always bad because it's not what you imagine it to be 
But we don't know. We, if we trust the divine, we should know that through everything he is carrying the march forward in whatever way. So old age sets in when we start looking backward, we become rigid. Somebody has said it a bit humorously. What is old age? When the narrow waist and the broad mind change places. So the waist becomes fat and the mind becomes narrow and rigid. So this is what uh, she is saying that it should be able to follow the movement. That's why physical culture is so important. It's fixity, it's rigidity. This was the last thing mother was working upon. The fixity which comes due to physical structure, the bones. Every other aspect you can make supple. How to make the bones supple? So she says it's incapacity to transform itself. Makes its destruction necessary so that its substance may return to the general realm of physical substance and so that the body may be remolded into new forms in order to become capable of further progress. And we can take an example that if you have some, I mean old time, people who have a lot of money, it's a different thing altogether. But otherwise people used to have a Soneka Kangan. Then after some time, that time they kept it, then they realized that, you know, it's out of fashion. So, but they can't just give it to the, uh, you know, goldsmith and say, make it new fashion. He says, no, I have to first dissolve it. So they used to, what did he do? He would burn it. This is the same process, no, which happens. So when you burn, the essential thing survives, the rest goes away. So then, Gold comes back to its original form. And then from that form, it again molds into a better shape, which now you have conceived that this is a better shape. So same thing happens with the body and of course the mind, that after some time they become rigid. But at the same time, the soul wants something which is more plastic, more supple. And therefore the body dissolves and it goes into the physical, general physical substance and then a new body comes. But usually when one speaks of immortality, people think of physical immortality. It goes without saying that this has not been, not yet been realized. So emphasis is on the word yet. The mother at no point says it cannot be realized. She says it has not yet been realized. There are different degrees to which it is being realized. For instance, still the subtle physical. Maybe something still more material, closer to the physical matter. Between the subtle physical and the physical, there is other small, small layers. But not fully realized. Shubindu says that it is possible and even that it will happen. But he lays down one condition. The body must be supramentalized. It must have some of the qualities of the supramental being which are qualities of plasticity and constant transformation. Here plasticity is not the ability to uh, be like rubber though that also is something very nice if you know that rigidity can break. But plasticity means that the organs and everything within can completely adapt to the way things change and I think all this so much nowadays change, air travels, the body is learning to adapt. It is developing a certain degree of widening and plasticity. Because without that it cannot. 
earlier it used to be so difficult when people went from one village to another which was a little far it was difficult and people say that ki wahan ka aata nahi hazam hota you know they go look back to their own chakki ka aata that degree of fixity used to be there but now slowly nature is working upon us to make the body little more plastic these are unconscious processes but it can become consciously supple and plastic and when shubindu writes that the body is only an instrument and a shadow he is speaking of the body as it is now and will probably continue to be for a long time to come so in this vision the immortal self within is the original true self the essential then we have the mental personality and the other parts and then we have the body which is an instrument so body is nothing but say the flute of the flute player so if the flute breaks doesn't mean the flute player is dead or it is the harmonium of the person who is playing the harmonium so if the harmonium is broken it doesn't mean that the player the one who was singing on it is gone musician is gone or we can take modern analogy that we have the computer the hardware the software and the skinware so skinware is the soul within the software is the mind which has programmed and the hardware is the body so even when the hardware breaks the software exists somewhere and you can put it in another pc and even if the software goes if the skinware is lost if the skinware because it has come from there the soul it can bring out even a new program and put it into the system a new and better program so this is the way he explains body is an instrument and a shadow for now but in times to come just like today now computers are becoming independent so to say of the skinware only at the original something has to be done after that so it is a shadowy way of something which is a reflection of something which in its origin because nature put some signs a day will come when the body itself will have its own independent divine life independent in the sense it will be suffused by the divine light and divine glory right now it cannot without the life force it's dead without the mind it doesn't not know where to go so when we wake up in the morning the mind has to direct the body go to the washroom and then the life says yes 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 but when the body is divinized these intermediary agents will no more be needed it will move by a direct divine impulsion only that describes it beautifully some people develop it for instance what is called as the sporting instinct it gets into the body so similarly the body can directly be moved by an intuition within actually animals have it but that's given for a limited purpose which is called a instinct but through evolution we will have an intuitive or intuitivized body before the supramental body so the body itself will have a direct knowledge it won't need the mind and it will have access to the universal energy which can help it move so she says that for some time it will continue this way 
It is only the instrument of the self with a capital S, a very inadequate expression of this self and the shadow. So right now it is not perfect. The soul within may even, it's like somebody who has learned music straight away from Shiva. Music and dancing from Shiva and Krishna. But none of the instrument can play it. You can pick up a float and blow it, but it's not the same as Krishna's float. It's the same flute and yet different flute. When Krishna plays, the world comes running because that is the power he has breathed into the flute. When Shiva dances, the worlds go tumbling down or new things are created. So one may learn all this, but one may not be able to replicate because this instrument is not ready. It's a shadow, but it must become. That's how it should be. That The dress must be worthy of the Wearer. So the wearer is divine representative, and what is the dress which we are wearing? So she says it will happen one day. Right now it is inadequate, a shadow, something vague and obscure in comparison with the light and precision of the eternal self. Body is obscure, dull in its capacities, limited, prone to disease, suffering, disintegration, death, old age. And finally, we'll stop here with this question. We'll take part two of this aphorism for the answer. Now the question she raises is, how this shadow, the instrument, can serve the development of the soul and how by cultivating the instrument one can be of help to future lives are questions which are not without interest. They're not given here in this aphorism, the mother, but the mother takes up. Okay, it's an obscure instrument. Still it's an instrument. So what do we do? Can it help us for future lives? How we can develop it so that it can become at least a reasonably good instrument? So she says these are questions we will take up. She will take up in the same aphorism as continuation which we will continue in the next class. Thank you. Namaste.